All right, guys, here we go. Luke 21. I got four things for you today. We're going to spend most of our time on that second one. Here's the first. Another admonition for us to learn how to value like Jesus values. Learn how to see like Jesus sees. Learn how to love like Jesus loves. Uh, and it is so countercultural. We saw in the passage that poor widow woman giving more than all of the wealthy in the offering box. I just want to encourage us one more time. We're going to see this again in Luke. We've got to learn how to love and how to see the kingdom of heaven amidst the country of the earth. Uh, it's really hard to do because we have all kinds of things in the world trying to shape our loves and shape our values. Uh, but I just want to encourage us one more time to see as Jesus sees that the gifts of the poor widow woman are greater than the wealthy gifts of the rich. Uh, that's a countercultural idea. And so our hearts and our minds have to be formed by the text of Scripture so as to learn how to not just mimic what the world is teaching us, but instead learn how to see as Jesus sees. Learn to see the value and love, the value of the kingdom of heaven here in the country of the earth. One more admonition to learn how to see that way. Second thing I want to talk to you about is the end times. That's most of what we saw in the uh, Luke chapter 21, right? Well, in Luke, and actually in Revelation chapter 20, there is something called a millennial reign that is taught. This is a millennial reign is just when, uh, depending on who you ask, but it's a reign of Jesus on the earth, all right? It's the only chapter in the Bible where this millennial reign is talked about. So when you discuss the end times, there are four main positions that Christians hold. And all four positions are defined by where their system sits in relation to that millennial reign. There are two pre-millennial positions. There's one called amillennial, which means metaphorical. I'll get to that in a second. And then there's one post-millennial, that is after the millennial reign. That kind of helps us navigate the systems a little bit. The first system, the first pre-millennial, I'm going to start from kind of one end to the other. The first system that is taught uh, on terms of end times, what Christians think about end times, how things will go down in relation to that millennial reign, Jesus reigning on the earth. Uh, the first one is called classical dispensationalism. Alright, this started happening, this started, this teaching started roughly 1890 by a guy by the name of Darby. Uh, it picked up steam in the middle of the 20th century with the Schofield Study Bible and the Ryrie Study Bible. Um, uh, if you grew up hearing things about the rapture and uh, if you saw people standing in front of a lot of charts and those kinds of things, that was classical dispensationalism. That's probably what most of us heard growing up. Uh, it didn't start until almost 1900 years uh, after Jesus had resurrected and ascended, which tells us, I think, a little bit of something, that 1900 years have gone by and Christians didn't see this. And I think I could make a good case that this system is already starting to teeter out. But nevertheless, let's talk about it for a second, because it does include that notion of rapture, which I didn't mention, at least not explicitly, uh, yesterday. So here's how... Classical dispensationalists will see the end times going down and how that relates to that millennial reign, Jesus reigning on the earth. So classical dispensationalists would say there's the cross, there's the resurrection, then there's the ascension, 
Uh, and upon the ascension, of course, the Spirit comes down, and that ushers in the church age. The church age. That's exactly what we saw, right? Remember this back in chapter 24, or sorry, 21, 24, until the times of the Gentiles, the nations are fulfilled. That's what they would say is happening. Crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, spirit comes, ushers in the church, church age, and then they would say that Jesus comes down at this point, and all Christians, only the Christians, they are, they go back up, they are resurrected, and go with Jesus in back up into heaven. He comes down, turns around, and goes back up. Alright? Then that ushers in seven years. A seven year tribulation period. This is when Satan, in, in Revelation 20, it talks about this. Satan is unbound. He's let go. and He can do his bidding. And all of those things, those signs we talked about yesterday, that's when those things are getting fulfilled, they would argue. Uh, and during this time, the fullness of the Jews are coming in. All kinds of evangelism is happening. The Christians have gone, but tons of people are come to faith in Christ, especially the Jews. But it's really rough for that seven years because all those signs we talked about, it's happening in those seven years. But the Christians are not there. They got resurrected at the front. That's why they would be called here pre-trib. So classical dispensationalists believe in pre-tribulation. That is, before the tribulation, the seven years, we get out of it. Seven years of tribulation. Satan is unbound. He's doing his thing. A lot of people coming to faith. And at the end of that seven years, Jesus and the rest of us uh, come with him in our resurrected bodies down to the earth. And that ushers in the 1,000-year millennial reign. That's 1,000 years. It's a literal 1,000-year millennial reign. They would, the classical dispensationalists say, we're gone, seven years of difficulty, we come back, Jesus comes back with us, uh, you have a literal 1,000 years where we're, Jesus, the kingdom of God, is beginning to reign on the earth. It's not complete though, and at the end of that literal 1,000 years, you get judgment, and at, that, at this point, uh, the eternal state is ushered in. So Jesus comes back, there's this 1,000 years, and then Satan and his minions, they're cast away down into hell forever, and the eternal state begins. That's classical dispensationalism, which is pre-trib and pre-millennial. Alright? Pre-trib. Cross, resurrection, ascension, church age, Jesus comes down, in the air, we meet him, we go back up, seven years of tribulation, we all come back down, and then there's the resurrection of the, of the wicked, they go down to hell, they're judged after the 1,000 literal year reign, and then you get an eternal state where everything uh, is as it will be forever. That's classical dispensationalism, pre-trib, pre-millennial. You won't hear this pre-trib anymore. Uh, by the way, the pre-trib piece, this is where the rapture comes in. This is what classical dispensationalists, they use this word rapture. They're grabbing that from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. And they're saying that all the Christians are going to be raptured up. We're going to be left up and the world's going to kind of go on for a while for these seven years. But we Christians, we miss out on it because we got raptured. We got taken out of it. Um, and then we come back in with our resurrected bodies for that 1,000 year little reign. Uh, but when you hear that word rapture, that's normally coming from classical dispensationalists, wherein the Christians miss out. They come out before the tribulation, before the 1,000-year reign. 
That's classical dispensationalism. That's probably the most complicated one out of all of them. So if you're going, that's a little hard to understand, don't worry, it gets easier. But the second pre-millennial position is called historical. Historical pre-millennialism. All right, historical pre-millennialism. So likewise, historical premillennial folks, they see the cross, they see the resurrection, they see the ascension. Uh, this ushers in as the spirit comes down. This ushers in the church age. It's the same thing, chapter 21, verse 24, right? The fullness of the nations is coming in. Uh, they don't see a tribulation. They would, they would see all of this. This church age is the tribulation. Christians don't miss out. The Bible is regularly talking about how we will be living in a midst of difficulty and the like. And so they would say this church age is simultaneous to that tribulation. And then Jesus comes back and he ushers in the millennial reign. And this would be a 1,000 year literal reign. Uh, and when he comes back, when Jesus returns at the beginning of that reign, uh, we get our resurrected bodies. At this point, Christians, Christians, Christians are resurrected. All right. We come in and we are part of this literal 1000 year millennial reign where Jesus is reigning on the earth. But it's not complete until the end of that literal 1000 years when there is judgment. Satan is unbound. There's the big battle of Armageddon. And they, uh, at this judgment, the wicked, they get resurrected and they get judged and they get sent to hell, which ushers in the eternal state. When things will be as they always will be. So that's historical pre-millennialism. Again, notice the pre. Here's the pre. is before Jesus comes, we are resurrected, the 1,000 years, and then the eternal state after the judgment. And so it's pre-millennial. Uh, in other words, we Christians get resurrected before the millennial reign, the 1,000 year millennial reign. All right? That's premillennialism. The next system, you're going to love this one because it's super clean. Not that that makes it any more right. I'm just saying it's easier to understand. They would see, this position would see, the millennial reign that's talked about in Revelation 20 as being the word ah, like atheist or atheist, you know, not a theist. So they, the Amal guys, they would say the teaching of the 1,000 years in Revelation 20 is not literal. It's not meant to be literal. It's the same way that we might say it's, it's going to be like a 1,000 years, man, or like, you know, I was waiting there all day. That's the way that the Amal guys will describe their position. They say Revelation 20 is metaphorical. They mean to say it's a long period of time. And so they see the Amal guys, so that's why it's an Amal. There's not a literal 1,000 years. It's just a long period of time. So they see, similar to the historic pre-guys, they see cross, they see resurrection, of course, they see ascension, they see the Spirit coming down uh, on the believers. That ushers in the church age, which again, you have the tribulation, all the stuff that we read about in Luke 21, all that's happening during this uh, time. Same thing as the historic pre-guys. And then what happens is, is Jesus comes back uh, and at, the, at this point, when Jesus comes back, we get resurrected. Uh, Christians get resurrected. Uh, and at that point, also, the wicked get re re resurrected. So you get Christians, 
and wicked are resurrected. All right. Then Jesus judges them. He judges the wicked. They are sent to hell, which ushers in the eternal state. Pretty clean. So, death, bell, resurrection, ascension, spirit comes down, church age, tribulation. The only thing we're waiting on is one thing. Jesus comes back. Christians are resurrected. Wicked are resurrected. We fight. They lose. Eternal state. Really clean. Uh, again, amen, meaning this time, this period, there's no time in which it's a literal 1,000 years. All right? That's the amil position. The last position would be post-mill. Post-mill. Again, after that millennial reign. That You should hear that. Post-mill. This is a little interesting. This is a very narrow view. Uh, this was kind of held in the 1850s or so. And then, after the turn of the century, when it got so bad, people said, I don't think this one's right. It doesn't seem to be right. Um, you'll see why in a second. Post-mill. So they see, same thing, cross, resurrection, ascension, spirit comes upon the Christians. And then now, what they're saying, this is supposed to be a chair here, is they want to emphasize that Jesus is currently reigning. Right? We hear this language, right? Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Which, of course, Amil guys would believe the same thing. But nevertheless, post-mill guys want to emphasize the fact that Jesus has finished his work. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, implication is he's currently reigning right now. He's currently reigning. The millennial reign is similar to the Amil guys. It's not literal. They wouldn't see it as a literal 1,000 years. But instead, they see it as this long period of time where Jesus is currently reigning, and at the end of this long period of time, what's going to happen, they would argue, is Jesus' reign is basically getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger until at the end there is judgment and the eternal state is ushered in. All right? So they're seeing Jesus is already reigning, the millennial reign has already begun, and things in society are going to progressively get better and better and better. And at the end of it getting better, judgment will come and the eternal state will be ushered in. Uh, that's a really small portion of people believe that position, I think, for good reason. That it was sm- that it's small. Uh, but nevertheless, that's post-mill after, right, after the millennial reign. Which, uh, again, they're only saying after because they think Jesus is already reigning because of his death, burial, resurrection, ascension. Uh, but I think the hard part to believe is this. Uh, the Bible doesn't seem to teach that at the end things are going to be better. The Bible seems to teach the opposite, that at the end it's going to be worse. Uh, and so for me and for most Christians, this position is kind of, we ain't going there. But you could. One might be a Christian and have this position. Uh, the classical dispensational position, I think, is a little more... Hard to believe because of the fact that, again, there are these uh, classical dispensationals would see that we, again, miss out on all the hard stuff uh, because we go out before the tribulation. Again, I just don't see that because the Bible seems to indicate regularly that at the end it's going to be hard for Christians. And so I don't see that. Uh, another piece of that classical dispensationalism is, uh, is they would see two separate plans for the Jews and the Gentiles. Which is why you'll notice that classical dispensational folks don't preach from the Old Testament very often. 
just doesn't happen. Doesn't, they still believe it's the Bible, but it just is not being taught very much. I think that leaves us, one might be a Christian and be anywhere in all four of those, but I think in terms of consistency of what we see in Scripture, those middle two positions of uh, historic premillennialism or amillennialism seem to be the best fits in my view. Uh, there you go. That's the four views. Hope you found that helpful as to how Christians have historically seen the end times going down. That's the second thing that I wanted to mention. The third thing that I want to mention, and these last two will be pretty brief, is what Jesus talks about uh, when these difficult things are coming in. Uh, if you look at verse 34 again, he says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day, uh, when Jesus returns, come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. By the way, going back to my previous point, I think that indicates either an amil or a historic pre. Sounds like Christians are going to be on the earth when Jesus comes back. Not to go back up with him, but to endure the tribulation. But anyway, I sidetrack. Back to my point. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. Stay awake. He said, watch yourselves. Stay awake at all times. How is it we stay awake? Look at what he says. Uh, praying that you may have strength to escape uh, all these things, all those six things, the difficult things that are going to be taking place on the earth, and to stand before the Son of Man. How is it we stay awake? How is it we watch ourselves? Well, Jesus seems to be emphasizing that one of the ways in which we do that, uh, we stay awake, is by prayer. And there's something about prayer that gives us strength and allows us to stand. Right? Something about prayer, according to Jesus, that helps us to have strength and helps us to stand before the Son of Man. And so I just want to encourage you, if you find your prayer lives weak, then you might find yourself asleep. Uh, so this is a great call for you to participate in the corporate prayer and the life of the church. This is a great call to make your community groups have part of that. The ways in which you stay awake is by praying together. Uh, you're, if you're married, praying together. Individuals, praying. We've got to pray. Your prayer life is going to help you to have strength to stand amidst these crazy days. And it's going to help you be reminded of where your uh, ability to stand when Jesus comes back is. It's in Christ. Your strength is in Christ. Your ability to stand before him is in Christ. How is it you access that by grace, through faith, as you trust Him, as you pray to Him. So, just an encouragement. Jesus tells us the way we stay awake, in part, is to pray. Another admonition to pray. Uh, and the last thing I want to te- uh, remind us of is that very last thing that we see at the end of the chapter. Chapter 21, verse 37 and 38. I didn't even mention this yesterday, hardly at all. And every day He was teaching in the temple. Teaching. We've, what is Jesus doing in His final week? Tons of teaching. Where? In the temple. But at night, at night he went out and lodged in the mount called Olivet. And I love this. Look at verse 38. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. So just imagine that scene, guys. Jesus is spending day after day in these first few days since he's come back into Jerusalem and he's just teaching and he's teaching and he's teaching. And every night at the end, When the sun's starting to go down, he goes back out of the city to the Mount of Olivet. 
And what does he do first thing in the morning? Presumably after he spent a lot of time in prayer in the evening, he shows back up first thing in the morning. And who's there? All of these people from Jerusalem are crowding into the temple to hear him teach. And we've seen him do this time and again, right? He stay, he drove the den of robbers out, right? And what did he do after that? He stayed in the temple and taught. And so guys, I just want to encourage us. Not only do we need to pray, uh, but we also need to sit under the teaching of Jesus. We need to hang on his words. We need to listen to him and his words, right? Which won't pass away. Which brings me back to the first thing I mentioned. We need to learn to see as he sees, value as he values, loves as he loves. This world is trying to reform our loves, reform our values, and the ways in which we see as the kingdom sees, as the king sees, is by praying to him and by sitting under his word daily, hanging upon his words. And as we do, we will enjoy the abundant life. We will be ordered by the words that will never fade as opposed to the words of this world, which will fade. uh, Because Christ will return, and he will judge the world and bring in that eternal state. So, beloved, may you learn to see and love as Jesus loves as you pray and give yourself to the teaching of the word. God bless you.